What is this mysterious thing called the Kundalini? And why is it also called the serpent power? In the Bible, a serpent is symbolic of evil. In New Age spirituality, it's a symbol of esoteric wisdom, which is right. Find out on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Thank you very much for joining me in my library as we discuss a very, very important subject on this episode of Revealing the True Light. I'm going to start by asking eight questions. Number one, what is the Kundalini? And why do many gurus and yoga practitioners and New Agers also refer to the Kundalini as the serpent power? Number two, how do seekers pursue a kundalini awakening? Question number three, is the symbol of a serpent something good or something evil? Question number four, why are the Hindu deities Shakti and Shiva, the goddess Shakti and the god Shiva, associated with this experience, this supernatural phenomenon called a kundalini awakening. Number five, can this experience be dangerous? Number six, why is the awakening of the kundalini connected to the highest level of consciousness attainable within Hinduism? And it's referred to as samadhi, oneness with the higher nature, the oversoul. Number seven, is there such a thing as a quote-unquote kundalini spirit and has it invaded the church, the ranks of Christendom? And finally, question number eight, is the awakening of the kundalini the same experience that a Buddhist would refer to as nirvana or a Christian would refer to as being born again? Now let's start answering those questions. But first, I want to tell you why I am qualified to speak on this subject. Way back in 1969, I was a college student at Florida State University. I was pursuing a double major, a major in oceanography. I loved the ocean and everything that pertained to it, and a major in orchestration because I loved music, and I was a musician at the time. But then I had a near-death experience that shook me up and changed my whole view of life. And I began searching for something that could be my answer. And I really did not feel like going back to Catholicism, which I had been raised in. I met an Indian guru who happened to speak at Florida State University. His name was Yogi Bhajan. He came from India to bring Kundalini Yoga to the West. And I was very impacted by what he said. And he declared, 
that if I followed his regimen, his yogic regimen, that I could achieve a place he referred to as God consciousness and also self-realization. And that was very enticing to me. I thought, what could be better than coming into oneness with the creator of the universe? And he called his system of belief, Kundalini Yoga, he had an organization called 3HO. And the meaning of it was happy, healthy, and holy organization. Now, since that time, Yogi Bhajan has passed on. He's no longer alive, and many scandals have erupted from his time of spreading Kundalini Yoga in this country and really globally, many centers all around the world. And some things came to light about his immorality, his unethical business practices, his cultish control. And many of those who were involved in Kundalini Yoga have divorced themselves from him and yet continued the practice. And yet he was the one who introduced it to the West. Now, I'm not going to go into all the scandals. I'm not even interested in that. I'm interested in focusing on the practices and the doctrines or the concepts behind Kundalini Yoga. So let me ask you again, question number one, what is the Kundalini and why do many gurus and yoga practitioners and new agers also refer to it as the serpent power? Let me quote to you from Yogapedia, which is an online resource. Kundalini is a Sanskrit term that literally means the coiled one. And this term represents the primal force that lies coiled at the base of one's spine. So the idea is that there is an impersonal energy force that is deposited within every human being. And it's in a dormant state like a coiled serpent. And supposedly when that power is awakened, it brings seekers to a higher state of consciousness. Why is it referred to as the serpent power? Because of the image of its coiled appearance, but also because when it's awakened, like a serpent uncoils and rises up to strike, it uncoils and merges with the crown chakra. And supposedly that is a moment when God-realization or God-consciousness is reached. And I'll go more into that later. Number two, how do seekers pursue a kundalini awakening? Well, all the things I involved myself in yoga were supposedly designed toward that goal of awakening the kundalini. There was something called pranayama, which are breathing exercises. They believe that the divine essence called prana is in the molecules of the air. And when you breathe them in and out, you can intensify your consciousness or your awareness of the presence of God, which is depicted as an impersonal force. Also asanas, which are physical exercises. And then chanting mantras is supposed to assist in the process. And then meditation. All of these Mechanical-like controls hasten you toward this experience of oneness with the divine. It makes it a very, how can I say it, 
a, a process that is not relational. It's not relational. It's not coming to God as a loving Heavenly Father. It's controlling this force by the right process, which I now, of course, disagree with, but I at one time embraced it wholeheartedly. Now, when this awakening of the Kundalini takes place, supposedly the power goes upward through the spine through something called the chakras. And the teaching is that there are seven chakras in the body, which are swirling energy centers. And each one of those chakras is identified with an individual Hindu deity and certain attributes of character or certain ways that uh, your inner being manifests. As it travels up the spine, supposedly it unblocks the chakras or balances the chakras so that you can be a fully illuminated human being and that you can reach this state of bliss and oneness with the universe. A state, as I mentioned, known as samadhi in Hinduism. And it's the eighth limb of an eight-step process in Hinduism called the eight limbs of yoga. Instantly, the word yoga means yoked. And the implication of the word is being yoked with the divine. Yoga is a way of being yoked with your higher nature so that you can come into an illumined state. All right. Now, there's another way, though, to experience a kundalini awakening that hastens the process, because usually these yogic methods can take months, years, decades, even, I was told, lifetimes. The guru I studied under said it may take two or three incarnations into this world before full awakening and God consciousness could be achieved. Hmm. But there's a way around that so that it can happen suddenly and quickly, and that's something called Shaktipat. And that's where a guru, through maybe just touching a follower, uh, or uh, one guru I heard would use a feather just to hit his followers with the feather, and Shaktipat would take place, and this Kundalini awakening would happen. All right, question number three. Is a serpent a symbol of something good or something evil? New Agers believe that a serpent is symbolic of something good. It represents esoteric knowledge, higher spiritual knowledge and illumination of mysteries beyond this normal way of living in this world, comprehending things that are supernatural and spiritual in nature, uh, things that are normally hidden from the human psyche or unreachable by human beings. So why would a serpent be a symbol of esoteric wisdom? Because it's actually based on the Genesis story that the serpent told Eve, in the day you eat of this forbidden fruit, whatever it was, certainly wasn't an apple. The Bible didn't identify it as an apple. It was just the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent told Eve, in the day you eat of it, you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the original Hebrew word is Elohim, which can be translated either into the singular word God or the plural word gods. And I believe the proper 
uh, translation was, you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. So, Gnostics believe that Jehovah God is the God of darkness and, and that he wanted to withhold from human beings this enlightened state. And, and so he forbade that experience. But the serpent was the one that was rescuing the human race by showing the means by which this higher consciousness could be achieved. It may not always be based on that story, but it is. But I, as a Bible believer, and as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, quite the contrary, believe that the serpent is a symbol of evil. Satan, the prince of darkness, the devil is called that old serpent. And he's also referred to as a dragon in the book of Revelation, which is serpentine in nature, that has deceived the whole world because a serpent has venom. If it's a venomous serpent, it's deadly. It can kill you. And of course, that represents being destroyed or killed, in a sense, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, by the influence of the serpent's wiles. No, I believe a serpent is something very evil, while a New Ager may think it's a symbol of something very good. So we differ in our opinion on that. But I believe you'll see my point of view as we proceed. Number four, question number four. What do the goddess Shakti and the god Shiva have to do with a kundalini awakening? Let me once again quote to you from Yogapedia. Kundalini Shakti is present in every human being, but is dormant in most. That's the coiled energy at the base of the spine, the divine essence and it's called Shakti. Shakti was or is a mythical goddess that is worshipped in Hinduism and supposedly the consort of Shiva. And Shiva is one of the main gods in the Hindu triad. It's not Trinity. The Bible talks about a Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God. The triad in Hinduism is much different and, and it's not even comparable to the Trinity, or it's not comparable to the God who is three in manifestation, but one in essence in Christianity, the biblical revelation. Uh, because uh, in Hinduism, the triad is made up of Brahma, the creator God, Vishnu, the preserver God, and Shiva, the destroyer God the destroyer God, the God who brings on death to human beings so that the reincarnation cycle can continue, and the one that brings the dissolution of the universe so the universe can be rebirthed over and over again. Shakti is the one, or Shiva rather, is the one behind that. Now, According to the beliefs of Hinduism, Kundalini Shakti is present in every human being. That's the dormant divine energy in all human beings. And it's the basic force that underlies all things. It's the life in the trees, the life in every animal, the life in every human being. All right? 
Kundalini Shakti is the feminine power that lies coiled at the base of the spine. On awakening, it travels up through the spine to the Shishumna Nadi, which is the energy channel, supposedly. It's imagined. It's not real. It's never been scientifically proven, but it travels up through the Shishumna Nadi to the Sahasrara, which is the crown chakra. And that word in Sanskrit means the thousand-petaled lotus. And that's what God consciousness is kind of symbolized by. To unite with Lord Shiva, and instantly Shiva is referred to as the Lord of Yoga. Shakti is his consort. It's the goddess Shakti. Shiva is the male god. And so as this power rises up through the spine, Shakti and Shiva are united. So it has kind of sexual overtones. And that's when a person achieves God consciousness, according to that worldview. Shiva is the Lord of destruction or the Lord of death. Biblically, who would that be? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, talks about how Jesus on the cross through death destroyed him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And so the Lord of destruction, the Lord of death, biblically, is not a God to be worshipped, but the devil himself. Can this experience be dangerous? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. I get phone calls from all over the world, people contacting me on the internet, desperate because they were attending yoga classes or they were very intensely involved in the pursuit of this experience and had a kundalini awakening and then it got out of control where they had no control over the energy surges that would go through their bodies and they feel like they're on the cusp of insanity as a result. And they beg me to pray for them, to pray that they would be delivered from this. Let me give you a couple of quotes before I tell you really how that deliverance takes place. Rabbi Maharaj was a very um, mature yogi. By mature, I mean he was very devoted to yoga over a lengthy period of time. And he became a follower of Jesus. He wrote a book called The Death of a Guru. And it's a powerful book. It's not uh, available or it's not easy to find anymore. You can find some old copies on the internet on Amazon, I'm sure. And you should if you're a seeker and trying to get answers in this area. But he said this in his book, The Death of a Guru. He said, when aroused without proper control, the kundalini rages like a vicious serpent inside a person with a force that is impossible to resist. And I've known of people that felt it surging through them and felt their spirit going out of their body and felt the danger of it. And and one particular person told me he, in his heart of hearts, pulled back from it and the force of it threw him across the room. It was so powerful. And uh, Rabbi Maharaj said the Kundalini will produce supernatural psychic powers having their source in demonic beings and will lead ultimately to moral, spiritual, and physical destruction. 
Now, I was warned many times by Yogi Bhajan and other gurus that I studied under that if we did not discipline ourselves and live a very separated life, that if we had a kundalini awakening, number one, it could drive us insane. Number two, we could have encounters with demonic beings. Number three, psychic powers that we were not ready or in control for or in control of could be awakened in us. And so they would urge us, urge us to live a completely devoted, dedicated life or the awakening of the kundalini could be dangerous. Listen to what another guru talked about. Now, Swami Muktananda was one of the most charismatic gurus that ever came from India, and one of the most popular in this nation, and one of those who practiced Shaktipat quite often with his disciples. In fact, they flocked by the thousands to him for this experience. He described his own awakening of the Kundalini in terms that are very disturbing to me. In fact, I write about it in my book, In Search of the True Light. If you don't have a copy of this book, I urge you to get it. If you're in a part of the world where it would be hard to get a physical copy, you can download the ebook from Amazon or contact me and I'll let you know what source in your particular area you can find it in. But listen to what Muktananda said initiated him into, quote-unquote, kundalini yoga. He said he encountered a naked ascetic, who in, an ascetic, by the way, is a Hindu holy man that is totally devoted to yoga, that has no other earthly pursuit, and lives a very separated life. The ascetic invited him to come and sit on his lap and lick his head. How strange is that? The ascetic then proceeded to initiate Muktananda into Kundalini Yoga. Later that day, he explained, Muktananda explained, My mind seemed deluded. I felt I would soon become insane. My entire body started aching and the tongue began to move down the throat and all attempts to pull it out failed. He's choking on his own tongue. My fear grew. I felt severe pain in the knot below the navel. I tried to shout but could not even articulate. Next, I saw ugly and dreadful demon-like figures. I thought them to be evil spirits. Suddenly, I saw a large ball of light approaching me from the front. It merged into my head. I was terrified by the powerfully dazzling light. Not everyone who claims to have an awakening of the Kundalini has such a bizarre experience. But I can truthfully tell you, I have never, absolutely never met anyone who had a true encounter with the true and living God having negative things result like I just described. When the Holy Spirit comes into a person, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into a person, it brings soundness of mind. It brings peace that passes understanding. It brings a joy that is indescribable. It brings you into oneness with your heavenly Father, which is a wonderful experience. Nothing evil associated with it. No apparitions resulting from it. No demonic-like figures appearing as a result of it. So if that be true, if the experience of meeting God, experiencing God, 
through the biblical approach, brings only a calming and peaceful and gentle encounter with God, as opposed to this vicious awakening of the serpent power. Where is that power coming from? Where is that power coming from? You ponder that, and I'm going to tie it all together more at the end. Number six, why is the awakening of the Kundalini connected to the highest level of consciousness attainable in Hinduism? Because that's the whole goal. The eight limbs of yoga are all designed to take you to the ultimate goal of this experience called samadhi, oneness with the oversoul, oneness with the divine. But it's an impersonal life force. And there is a huge difference between an impersonal life force, a cosmic level of consciousness, and a personal, loving, heavenly Father that you have relationship with. Number seven, is there such a thing as a kundalini spirit, and has it invaded the church? This is challenging to answer because it would take an entire program just to deal with this. I do believe there have been some extreme manifestations in some camps of the charismatic movement especially, that are evidence of a manifestation of a spirit similar to what happens in kundalini yoga. However, there is no demon spirit in the Bible identified as a quote-unquote kundalini spirit. I do not believe personally that there are certain evil spirits that have only this function that only manifest in this way and would therefore bear the name Kundalini spirit. You don't find that in the Bible. Any demon spirit is referred to as an unclean spirit. And the reason it's unclean is because biblically, anything separated from God, out of union with God, out of fellowship with God, is unclean. And so these spirits are fallen angels who rebelled against God in the very beginning and they have to have a body to inhabit in order to express themselves. That's the way demons can find a medium or a means of expression, by inhabiting human beings, see? And so any demon spirit can bring forth this kind of manifestation and use it as a mask, as a way of masquerading in something that it looks or appears to be like a path to... Uh, enlightenment, a path to ultimate reality. So there's no such demon as a kundalini spirit, but it has invaded the church because I have, without going into great detail, been in meetings that I did not agree with. I am a charismatic Pentecostal follower of Jesus. I believe in the nine gifts of the Spirit. I've seen miracles and healings in our meetings. I pray in tongues. I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues. I have discernment. I have discerned evil spirits and cast them out many, many times, especially when I've ministered in India. People seem to be plagued with demonic forces there because of the rampant idolatry. They're more open to the demonic world as a result. And we have 
We have to minister deliverance to people there. So I believe in these things. I believe in the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which includes prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, miracles, faith, uh, uh, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. So I'm not denying supernatural elements in Christianity, but I have seen some meetings where it went too far And it left me with a very uneasy feeling. I believe in falling out under the power of God. I've seen it happen. I've had it happen to me. The best example in the Bible is uh, when Solomon dedicated his temple and the priest could not even remain standing when the glory of God rushed into the temple. They collapsed under the weight of God's glory. Those kind of things happen. But there are some weird fringe elements in the charismatic movement that go off the deep end. And I believe they have experienced something similar to a kundalini awakening, although I would never call it a kundalini spirit. Now, there is something biblically that I need to cover, though, found in Acts chapter 16. It's one of the only times an evil spirit is actually identified in a specific way. Most of the time, they're not. Most of the time, it's just evil spirits, demons, devils that people need to be delivered from. Jesus talked about a spirit of infirmity that had a woman bowed over and she had to be delivered from it. So he did specify that demon. I don't believe that demons are specialists so much in specific areas usually. As I mentioned a while ago, unclean spirits can manifest in numerous ways. But In Acts chapter 16, Paul was going through a certain region, and a woman, let me just read it, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 19. It happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her master as much profit by fortune-telling. See, fortune-telling or divination, which is trying to discern the future or discern events and happenings in a person's life by a power other than the Holy Spirit. See, the true and real gift of the Holy Spirit is the word of knowledge, or prophecy, or the word of wisdom. And God gives you a word concerning a condition in someone's life or a certain thing that will happen in their future. And that is a a relevant way of flowing in the Holy Spirit. But the challenging counterfeit, the demonic counterfeit for that is called divination, something God uh, commanded his people not to indulge in. He called it an abomination because it's illegitimate spiritual power. It's supernatural power that is drawn from a source other than God. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination menace who brought her Masters, much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Curiously, she was actually saying something right, but she was possessed by a spirit that was wrong. And she did this for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And that's when they ended up being thrown in prison. 
Now, the thing I wanted to bring out to you is that in the original Greek, the word that is translated divination is puthon, which is a word meaning python. It's a python spirit. And so this particular spirit that gave her divination powers was a python or a serpent spirit. So it must be very similar to the way demon spirits manifest in those who go through a kundalini awakening. Now, according to Greek mythology, the god Apollo killed the massive snake Python at Delphi, Greece. And some traditions claim Python is the child of the goddess Gaia, who is the goddess of the earth, who had a sanctuary at Delphi. And so that spirit that was in that woman was somehow tied in with the Greek myths that go along with it. And I thought it was important to show you that the Bible does identify a certain serpent demon. All right, number eight. Is the awakening of the Kundalini and Samadhi the same experience? Is the experience of Nirvana for Buddhists the same experience as what a Christian would call being born again? Absolutely not. Because number one, the awakening of the Kundalini is supposedly something that's already inside of you that is awakened when you become very internal in your focus through meditation, yoga, etc. And why is it not the same as nirvana? Because nirvana is not based on an idea of an ultimate deity. Nirvana is atheistic at its foundation. And so nirvana and samadhi are not the same thing. It's a conceptualized idea of an ultimate state that has completely different theology attached to it or completely different philosophy, I guess should be said, attached to it. Being born again in Christianity is totally different. And that's where you invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. You recognize that he died on the cross for the sins of humanity and that he tasted death for every man in order to conquer the Lord of death and destruction, who was Satan. And when you invite him into your heart, the Spirit of God comes into you and you receive a new spirit, a new spirit, and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit to dwell in. And when that spiritual regeneration takes place, you are now one with the Father. And you don't earn it by 10 or 20 years of yogic disciplines. It comes when you repent of your sins and repent of false religious practices and invite the Lord Jesus to come into your heart. Being born again is not the same as samadhi or nirvana. Not at all. Because it's the only way you can ever come into a real experience of God. I would urge you, if you know someone who's having kundalini awakenings, or if you yourself have gone through the horror of that experience, or maybe it hasn't approached that point of being a horrifying experience to you. I know how I encountered that same demon shortly after I became a Christian, and I won't tell the story now, but the only way to defeat that demon was to claim the blood of Jesus. And you need to know that. You need to learn that. That that's what horrifies the demonic world. They know that the crucifixion of the Son of God conquered them and nullified their authority in this realm. 
and you can be delivered. You can be set free because the Bible says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I believe this has been a powerful program. I believe it's been a needful and necessary episode. And I know there's a lot that still could be said. Contact me. Go to the website. Go to thetruelight.net. Send me an email. Tell me I need prayer. I need deliverance. And I will pray for you. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Ask him to be Lord of your life. Tell him, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and I receive you as Lord of my life. And all this other dark, dark stuff can be canceled in your life. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.